Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Weldcast, the podcast of Weld for Birmingham. Uh, we're brought to you by South Pace Properties, uh, Birmingham's uh, largest commercial real estate firm headquartered uh, downtown uh, since 1985. Uh, my guest today is Dr. Zach Henson, uh, who among other pursuits as an activist here in Birmingham uh, is a co-founder of the Cooperative New School. Zach, welcome, and uh, tell me a little about the Cooperative New School. Thank you, Mark. Um, the Cooperative New School is uh, basically a kind of networked institution, and what we refer to it as in our uh, tagline is that it's a knowledge common. So what we're trying to do is create a global network of activist scholars, activists, community organizers, and social entrepreneurs. Currently, we have uh, five activist scholars and two staff members. We have seven people on the team. And these activist scholars uh, hail from four different states, Kentucky, Alabama, Florida, and California. And it's a very diverse group. Um, they're uh, of the of the team. Uh, five are black women. There's one white woman, and then there's me, a white man. So it's highly diverse, and um, it's highly varied geographically. And the idea is to create a network of activist scholars um, who can be supported by this networked institution um, through teaching and earning a living through the teaching, but also it could support them in their particular projects in different geographic locations. Um, the students, the, the school is owned collectively by the faculty, the students, and the staff, and the students, the goal for the students is to train the next generation of community organizers, activists, and social entrepreneurs. So what we really want to do is create a large um, knowledge-producing network, a large global knowledge-producing network that would be able to support activists in many different geographic locales throughout the world. And the idea of it is that it's a knowledge common. In, in other words, that we share, um, we share our ideas and our strategies and, and, and anything like that. Anybody who's within the institution shares these ideas and strategies and information with each other so that we all can get better from it. And the interesting thing about, some, some people have argued about commons that, well, if you share something with somebody, you lose use of it. So if I have a pizza and I share the pizza with Mark, then I lose use to some of that pizza. But the thing about knowledge is, is that it's not alienable. So if I share my knowledge with Mark, I still have use of it. So um, by, sh by, by us sharing our knowledge with each other, we create the conditions to create new types of knowledges. And there's a a virtuous cycle um, within our institution that allows us to grow and learn and create different strategies for engaging in politics um, at the grassroots level throughout the globe. So then let's take that, that, that very uh, global uh, uh, perspective and, and ambition and, and bring it home here to Birmingham. Why is social activism, community activism, uh, political activism important? In Birmingham, well, I think what's what's really important um, to to recognize is that there's a growing urban radicalism all over the world. 
Um, cities are locations of incredible, incredibly intense interactions. There's a lot of diversity in cities, and there's a lot of creative energy in many cities throughout the globe. And it hasn't always been this way in Birmingham, but I really think that in Birmingham that creative energy is starting to reach a kind of critical mass in the sense that we're going to be able to make changes in policy or in institution building in the future. The work that we're doing in Birmingham um, with uh, a, a number of different organizations uh, centers around trying to create democratic institutions of self-governance. So if you look at uh, the Smithfield neighborhood, my friends Majadi Baruti and Susan Diane Mitchell have founded uh, Dynamite Hill Smithfield Community Land Trust, which is an right. institution of collective ownership. Um, there's other stuff that's happened. We've been doing trainings, and the idea behind the trainings was not only to train people, but to give them the tools to start their own organization. Julia Eastlick has created Support Our Students, which is a new education organization. We have Black Lives Matters Birmingham chapter, which is uh, doing some interesting things around poverty, homelessness, and education. And there's just a growing dynamism among uh, these groups of people where we share information and we help each other. And we do, we're a very decentralized way. We're not, not trying to unify into one particular movement, right. but to have a bunch of different organizations working, working on a lot of different fronts. And that creative dynamism that comes from just engaging with each other is really the driving force behind uh, what I see as our new movement. Well, you, you referred to, you used the term critical mass and, and, and suggested that, you know, there is a, a, a building toward that. What, what, what's contributed to, to that? Why is, why is now the time? I think, I, I really think it has to do with millennials. Um, I think millennials were promised a lot of things. Go, get, go to high school, go to college, come out of college, get a job, get a house. Um, you know, get a 401k and all this other sort of stuff. And what millennials are finding out is that those um, opportunities are not nearly as common as they used to be. And I think millennials particular, the two things about millennials is one, their particular dissatisfaction um, with, um, with the way the world is. And I had one of my millennial friends who's actually a faculty owner at the Cooperative News School um, uh, Heather Covington, she talked about how we were prepared for a society that that no longer exists. And I think there's a particular dissatisfaction with um, the fact that many of the promises to millennials didn't materialize. But the other thing about millennials are is that millennials really care. They care not only about themselves and getting better but they uh, in, in an individual way, but about being a part of a community and contributing to that community and using communities to support themselves and to support other people and to build commons. I mean, they don't call it that specifically, but millennials have, and I work with a lot of millennials and I'm very, um, you know, I'm kind of on the border between millennial and Gen Xer, but I work with a lot of millennials and they're, they're so thoughtful and, um, and passionate about trying to create some sort of world that everybody would want to live in. And I really think that the driving force behind new movements, and not only in Birmingham, but across, uh, across the globe, and especially in the United States, is, um, is a millennial generation that, is, that has come up in a situation with social media, 
in a situation that is profoundly different from any other generation. And the fact is, is that social media is the next printing press. And w the human species doesn't actually know how to use it yet. Um, and millennials grew up with this stuff, so they have a different point of view. And they're also, to, to a degree, dissatisfied with the promises that have been made to them that have not materialized. Yeah. Well, and so how does that, how does that translate uh, into social action on the ground here in Birmingham? Because there, you know, I think there is a challenge. There's a, there is, uh, and I agree with you about the millennial generation. Obviously, uh, you know, we, we, we have some of that generation employed here at Weld, and, and, and I never cease to be. Uh, amazed at and appreciative of, of, of the, the energy and thoughtfulness and, and the caring about the community. Yeah. So, but, uh, you know, at the, at the same time, uh, you know, there, there's, there are good things going on in Birmingham, undoubtedly. Sure. Uh, some of it, if not most of it, is very superficial and it's not getting at sure. core issues. Sure. And like anybody else, any other generation of people, uh, people in general, uh, there is a um, uh, an, a, a, a tendency to accept the superficial as the norm, sure. and 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 when there are issues that go deeper, so some people in the community, including some millennials, are are just happy to be living in a place where there is an energy, and there yeah. is an energy. How do you go deeper than that, and 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 how how does that how does what you're doing tie into pulling people who may be satisfied with the superficial into the, into the social and political realm in a deeper way. So I, I think at some point, and I don't, I don't think we're actually in our movement, I don't think we're actually mature enough yet to get to this point in a widespread way. Some of us are doing. But at some point it has to move from energy to institution building. And inst an institution is just a group of people with the legitimacy to say this is the way things should be and for people to buy into it. And we have to, and like I said, I don't think we're mature enough. I think we're still in very much the research and analysis phase of the movement, the new urban radical movement in Birmingham. I still think we're in very much the research and uh, analysis phase and we haven't quite gotten to the what do we do yet phase. Right, right. Um, but one of the things to do is like what we're doing at the Cooperative New School, which is to create institutions that are going to support a type of culture that you want to see and that you want to live in. And I think what's different about this type of activism is we're not trying to take over um, the state or take over society. Or, mm -hmm. We're trying to build uh, uh, an alternative society for people who feel like that the society that we live in is a death-dealing type of society. So one of the ways to do that is education and to control the means of production in education and to do that through what we call a networked institution. Another way to do that is to control land in your community, which is what uh, Majadi and, and Susan are trying mm -hmm. to do. Mm -hmm. But as far as, uh, say, specifically a, a, a primary or secondary education new type of institution. I don't think our movement has matured enough yet to be able to put a meaningful uh, um, proposal forward, right? Because th th this type of stuff takes time, right? You have to 
there's a there's a, a research and analysis piece to being in a social movement to figure out where you are. Yeah. And then when you figure out where you are and wh- who you want to be and what you want to do, then you start talking about what what you're going to do. Well, and that gets back to that whole question of, you know, what's, you know, superficiality. I mean, you know, yeah. Lane, you know Abraham Lincoln said once uh, uh, that it, it's difficult to get people to toil on behalf of, of posterity because they want to know what posterity has ever done for them. And, but that's really the point of, of activism, isn't it? It's taking the, uh, a longer view. Sure. And, and so how do you... Uh, that it, it, it sets you up in a way that, that it becomes... Uh, or maybe it doesn't. My, my, my question is, how do you define success? Sure. Sure. Well, but I, both I, for the short term and, 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 I, and for the sure. longer term. I think... the. It, the way that you find define success for me, and it's different for other people in our movement. Like I said, we're not a hierarchical movement. We're decentralized. People have different goals. For me, the definition of success is um, to end poverty in Birmingham. That's what I can care about the most. And you have 31% poverty in Birmingham. I did some research. People talk about Birmingham has an 8.1 to 10% unemployment rate. Well, if you look at the statistics... The number of people who are not in the employment market at all, right. when you're talking about in comparison, the employment, the unemployed means you're in the employment market but don't have a job. Right. And then there's a bunch of people who are out of the employment market completely. And when you look at that number, it's 25 to 27% of black people in Birmingham are out of the labor market completely. So you're talking about a level of give up and despair that is really just profound. And let me be very clear about this. This is not because of a deficiency or defectiveness of poor people. It's because of an institutional failure um, in in Birmingham. And uh, one of the things we would like to do is create our own institutions that will address this, like a like a community land trust. But also, there has to be some engagement with UAB, Alabama Power, Regents Bank, the City of Birmingham, and many of these other large institutions. There has to be some engagement with them to try to get them to address this, or not necessarily address, but create a context where people can pull themselves up out of poverty. Because nobody, every, 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 every single person has to be the author of their own liberation, right? I can't free you, right, Mark. You have to free yourself. But there needs to be an institutional context created that will allow people to create their own freedom and craft their own destiny. And that doesn't exist in Birmingham to the point that our, our political leaders won't even say the word poverty, right? They won't even say it. They, have you ever heard Mayor Bill say poverty? Maybe, possibly, but I, I, but I understand you. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, yeah. And, and, I, and um, if, we, if, we're, if we can't even talk about it, then, you know, how can we create this institutional context that needs to happen um, in order for people to be able to, say, create their own cooperatives like we're doing Um, or create community land trust. Like land bank authorities, $3,500 to $4,000 to get a piece of property. A lot of these properties are not worth that much. And so we need an institutional situation that is uh, conducive to... um, allowing poor people to build wealth and be independent. And 
to me, what it would look like is a system, a network of a bunch of small cooperatives, five, mm-hmm. six person cooperatives um, that are all sort of feed into each other. One of the things that Jackson, Mississippi did is they have a, they have a farm and the farm feeds the cafe. The food waste from the cafe feeds the composting uh, mm-hmm. business, mm-hmm. and the composting organization peels the farm. So all of these, all of these three businesses are uh, are complementary to each other, and there's zero waste, and it's environmentally sustainable. So you have all those sorts of things. Other things that we could do, um, creating a solar powered neighborhood control grid, which is completely possible nowadays. And I had some discussions with the Sierra Club. I think the Sierra Club is interested. And maybe starting to work on a more community development type of level than uh, than they have done in the past. I don't want to speak for them, but they seemed interested in it. And I think uh, you know the way to end poverty is not necessarily to do social services and have free giveaways. That is a is that, that that in some ways in some ways that's where uh, let's use this term broadly. Conservatives have some point. Yeah, because you do create a culture of uh, certain expectation and dependency, and if you're not doing other things to supplement that, uh, then then you really are only perpetuating. Sure. Yeah. And the thing, and 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 to say mm-hmm. this in a maybe in a little bit of a different way, uh, ch- charity is hierarchical. Right, you have a person give uh, at the top who's giving right. to a person at the bottom. And I know empowerment is kind of a buzzword. I had a professor in grad school who said, what does empowerment mean? But there has to be an, like I said, there has to be an institutional situation where people can develop their own cooperatives and get into financially and politically independent. And I mean, we have 21% of the people voted in the, the last election. Right. And that's not necessarily apathy. I mean, it is apathy, but it's not necessarily apathy. It's loss of faith and trust in public institutions. Right. And it's because institutions like UAB, Alabama Power, Regions Bank, uh, and others do are not uh, being responsive institutions to the needs of their community. They're, 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 and I drew this distinction the other day. There's a difference between being a great institution, which I would say UAB is a great institution, and being a legacy-leaving institution. And UAB is great at what it's supposed to do, but... I would love to see UAB tomorrow say, you know, poverty is unacceptable in our community and we're going to put all the resources behind our university behind it and we're going to put academic study in it. We're going to put our outreach arms on it. And I think, you know, if one institution did that, other institutions would fall behind and we would be able to create this context where people could build their own businesses and get free. Well, and I think, you know, the... uh uh, I think you made a good distinction. Uh, it, it's all of the institutions that you mentioned. Uh, it, it's impossible to say that they don't do good things right. in the community right. and that they don't support good things. I think, and this 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 gets not just to this issue, but but really to, to kind of the history of Birmingham uh, at, at, at large, which is there's not any uh, overarching sort of strategy or objective even it, it, it's we, we we tend to take things on a piecemeal basis and everybody who can do something does what they can do but sometimes that works across purposes sure 
and, and again helps only to perpetuate things rather than to make essential kind of change that you, particularly of the kind that you're talking about. Sure, and I mean, really, all it would take was an institutional commitment on a couple of these institutions and to work together on it and to also listen to the people that you're trying to help. You know, that's a big part of it. A lot of times these big institutions don't, they have in their in their mind what they want to do when they don't understand the context on the ground, which means that what they want to do might be completely inappropriate. Um, and to listen to people like Majati and Susan and Black Lives Matters folks and to say, you know, come to them and say, what do you need us to do? And Majati and Susan can say, we need you to do this, 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 and this, and they can figure out how to do it. And um, it's not going to happen overnight. It's, it, I think it would, I think if we in Birmingham made a commitment to end poverty, I think it would take 40 years yeah. to end poverty. Okay. But I think it could be done. And it didn't get this way overnight. It's not going to get fixed overnight, right? I mean, like, it, it's, it's been this way for many years and for many different reasons. And, you know, uh, but if we made the commitment to do it, you know, we could have benchmarks in 10 years we want to take right. 15% off. In the next 10 years, we want to take 10% off. Um, and it's just a matter of planning and working together and, you know, listening. Well, listening. And, and investing. Yeah particularly public resources, but also philanthropic resources and private resource, I mean, resources, but, but particularly public resources, invest in them in the right ways. Right ways. Right? So what is the role of government, of That's local, of, of our municipal government? You know, I think more than anything, it's just leadership. Um, more than making policy, more than any of that. Because the fact of the matter is is that over the last 50 years, um, governance itself has been privatized extensively. Um, you know, when Bull Connor was uh, commissioner, public safety commissioner in Birmingham, Birmingham had a federal program where they gave food that was administered by the city, they gave food to poor people in Birmingham. Now that program would be a part of a nonprofit that would not be democratic, not that Bull Connor's city was democratic, right. but that would not be democratic and it's completely outsourced. So the, the, the state, the local state, the local government doesn't have nearly the same type of power that it had uh, 50 years ago. And you know, if you look at what's happening with a lot of the gentrification stuff, the city is just playing a rubber stamp role. It's playing, it's funneling money into it and playing a rubber. All growth is good. All growth is good, yeah. right? And so, really, when you when you talk about the di diminished role of the government in a system that has been thoroughly privatized, what we really need from a, a mayor or a leader, uh, it doesn't have to be a mayor, but it probably should be a mayor, is someone who could marshal all of these different types of institutions into one direction, right? Who can, who can say, this is our vision for Birmingham. This is where we want to be in 10 years. This is what we want to do in 10 years. Number one issue in Birmingham is poverty. We want to take a chunk out of it. And to uh, listen to the people that are on the ground that are doing the work and develop a plan to, that you could take to Alabama Power, UAB, 
Regis Bank, right. Harvard, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Develop a plan. This is leadership, right? This is leadership. And say, hey, look, this is what we want to do and convince them that this is what we should do, that it's good for everybody. And so really, for me, the role of government is not, it is making policy, but the big role of government and especially, particularly the mayor's office is um, uh, the ability to lead in a way that can bring um, the powerful actors in Birmingham politics together in a and to address the specific problem in a way that has never been done in Birmingham before. And I think the right person could do it. Are you hopeful about Birmingham in general? I mean, I'm a, I'm a hopeful person. You can't do the work that I do and not be hopeful or you'll, because if you look at the way the world is, I mean, you'll be, you'll have despair. Um, and I, uh, I love Birmingham. I love the people of Birmingham. The people of Birmingham are the most genuine, down-to-earth, coolest people on the planet. I love the millennials in Birmingham um, who are, you know, all trying to make make history, do something profound. Um, but there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of obstacles um, in front of us. Um, you know, can we get? these big institutions to recognize that it is not in their self-interest to have 31% poverty. Can we get them to recognize that? Um, what are we going to do about Trump? Um, you know, which I watched the, I watched the press conference the other day about Trump and it was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. I don't, it was bizarre. It was super bizarre. Um, and you know, it, it seems to me that Birmingham is not going to be able to rely on anything but Birmingham because it certainly can't rely on the state government and it definitely can't rely on the federal government. So, but I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. And I think that if we, if we, if we develop networks with other, if we became what I call a rebel city and we develop networks with other rebel cities across the globe, we could build um, a network of power where we could all support each other in resisting people like Trump or people like the Alabama state government. Yeah, to the extent that we can uh, uh, become self-supporting yeah. uh, in, in, uh, uh, in an egalitarian kind of way. Sure. Uh, I think the opportunities there. I've, I've, I've said much the same thing. That, you know, I, I, uh, I can't do a lot about Trump. Right. Right. Uh, I think uh, you know. I hope we can do something about Birmingham, right. and, and I think that kind of local focus uh, is 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 really uh, where we uh, where we should head, and and how we would benefit the most. And I would also go on to say that um, it exists with other types of economies, but the idea that I put forward of a sharing type of institution and institution based on the common. Uh, that type of stuff already exists in poor communities throughout Birmingham because they couldn't survive. Uh, poor people couldn't survive without relying on their neighbors and families and so on and so forth. So that the, this type of economy based on sharing, um, poor people already know how to do this. And really the only, the only obstacle of, of it is, is getting the institutions 
and get the powerful institutions behind it. Right? We're not, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Now, it's a different type of economy than we're used to, but it's not an economy that we're having to invent, to invent from scratch. Well, we're living in a different world than we used to, yeah. as you pointed out. Yeah. You know, the, the idea of work has changed. The yeah. idea of the, of the, that a company has an obligation to its employees, well, that's changed, sure. right? Uh, and and but know, even, it's a different world than it was 10 years ago. And even, even the nature of commodities have changed. You know, you have a, a, a Gatorade sitting right there, and that Gatorade gets most of its value from marketing. Right. It gets more of its value from marketing than it does from actually producing it. And that's knowledge. Its value comes from the, the, you know, the style of life, the lifestyle they, they create and then sell to sell you the product. Sure. And everything's like that now. Like you're talking about the dominant type of work is, um, you know, caring, um, network building, social type of work. Because you think about people are working at McDonald's. That's a caring. Gotcha. So the, 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 the dominant form of work is like nursing and caring and teaching and all of these sort of caring type of professions and really what is being produced now um, is not so much commodities as lifestyles and when you think about the economy in that sort of way it creates a whole new perspective on it right well I think this is a good place as any to to uh, to, to stop and thank you for uh, for being here, Dr. Zach Henson of the thank Cooperative you, News School. I want to take a quick moment to again thank South Pace Properties, uh, which uh, uh, I believe I earlier referred to as Birmingham's largest uh, commercial real estate firm. They are in fact Alabama's largest and. Uh, and uh, headquartered right here since 1985. And we appreciate their support. We appreciate your listening and uh, look forward to the next episode.